Well, we're turning this morning to the book of Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, and to chapter 5. Matthew's Gospel and chapter 5, continuing in our thoughts and studies on the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, we'll just read from verse 33. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, Go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbour, and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Amen. We thank the Lord for this reading once again. Let's ask the Lord's help. Now, Father, as we turn to the scriptures, we pray that you would give us understanding of those things that we read. We pray, Lord, that not only may we have understanding, but the grace of the Lord within our hearts to put into practice that which is recommended to us here. And Lord, we pray that we might be strengthened as the days go by to become more and more uh, made in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. For this reason, thou hast chosen and called and drawn, justified, and sanctified us, that we might be conformed to the image of thy Son. Hear our prayer then, we ask, continue with us now, in Jesus' name. Amen. So the words which are on screen for a few moments more are those which we want to look at today concerning these words which the scripture says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. You may notice, that if we go back to those things that we have seen before in this chapter, that it is not just that these things which are from the law of God, which is the Ten Commandments, such as thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, and thou shalt not forswear thyself, but these, uh, these words are slightly different. You have heard that it has been said, not said to them uh, by the Lord as in the Scripture, but here, just it is a saying, something which people have said. 
And you can understand it from a, a, a kind of a Jewish national point of view. They had had many enemies. Uh, they had been taken into captivity. Remember the, the 70 years of captivity in Babylon. And then afterwards, uh, in that time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, how that, that they had been taken, first of all, by the Greeks, and then the Seleucids and the Ptolemies, and uh, now by the Romans, and their enemies surrounded them and have caused them so much grief. And it had come to their mind now in their battles uh, that they should love their friends, but that they should hate their enemies. And this was quite a something which was going on in the mind and the psyche of the, of the children of Israel in the days of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Rome was their controller. One of the reasons they didn't like publicans was because the publicans collected taxes to give to Rome. And uh, the Lord Jesus, of course, makes reference to the publicans here in this portion of scripture. Nevertheless, these words, Jesus says, you've heard them said, but I say unto you that you should love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And those are the thoughts which we want to look at today. So I'm going to look at them under three headings, as I usually do. Um, occasionally we have more headings, but just the three today. And the first, those being the line that the Saviour takes. Where is the Lord going? What is he saying here? Uh, secondly, the life that the saved thirst for. Of course, we see that in the, uh, in the Beatitudes, the blessings at the beginning of the chapter. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And then finally, the love that the saint testifies. So the line that the Savior takes. Well, Jesus is developing the monologue here. He, he is speaking to the, those who are gathered around him. And we see from the very first verse of this chapter, and seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain seeing the multitudes there are lots of people around him there are no doubt scribes and pharisees around him there are the common people around him and we see from that first verse as well that his disciples came unto him so here are these people who are gathered around and jesus is speaking to them and he it is a monologue which is what preaching is really this is a, a monologue so uh, there's just one person speaking and jesus is speaking but he's developing as he goes through so therefore we need to come back to really his thesis or what he is going to say and what he is referring to as he goes through these different things. Thou shalt not kill, uh, but I say unto you, whosoever, is, uh, shall, whosoever shall kill, oh sorry, I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment and so on. And then also, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already with her in his heart. He speaks about uh, theft in, in a kind of a, an aside here in that section where he talks about the right eye offending and the right hand offending and taking that which is not ours. Adultery, of course, comes under that, doesn't it? Because it is taking something, stealing somebody else's wife or stealing somebody else's husband. And so it is sort of brought in together here. And then he talks about uh, uh, bearing false witness. Uh, we shall not bear false witness against our neighbor. And here he says, thou shalt not forswear thyself. Thou shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. And uh, again, here is a reference to that. 
Then the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, going now from the Ten Commandments into other laws which were given also by Moses, as Moses was given by God to tighten the law. Because you remember how that Moses was up in the mountain receiving this glorious uh, Ten Commandments from the Lord, how the Lord was writing them with his own finger upon the stone. And while he was there, they were down the mountain saying, we don't know what's happened to Moses. Uh, Up and make us gods. And Aaron takes the gold uh, earrings from them and the gold that they have and he forms a calf. So much reminiscent of Egypt because Egypt had the Apis bull. And they make the calf and they begin to worship. They don't worship the calf, we read in the scripture, they worship Jehovah. But nevertheless, they have made an idol. And the very first or the very second commandment, of course, which God gave was, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything which is in the heavens above or in the earth beneath or in the waters under the earth. We're not to have images of God because they take away the heart to the eye. We begin to see things. We begin to worship things rather than worshiping the Lord who seeks us to worship him in spirit and in truth. So Jesus then comes on to this section and he says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now, where is this coming from? What's the basis of what he is saying here? Well, I suggest to you that it comes from the beginning of this chapter, where he says in verse 20, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. The scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees were the religious leaders. But the religious leaders, well, they had their own company. They had other Pharisees. They had other scribes. They would stay in that company and they despised the ordinary people. The ordinary people were unclean. The ordinary people didn't wash their hands. They didn't tithe the the mint and the cumin. They they didn't do all of the law. Remember how Paul, when he had been a Pharisee, said, as touching the law, blameless. And that's what they considered themselves to be. But the Lord says you need more righteousness than this. Because when you look at the scribes and the Pharisees, they have their own friends. They love their neighbor, but but they hate their enemy. And... You need to be more than that. So there's this extending, this developing of his monologue here. And he's defining the model which he has set forth about thou hast heard, thou shalt not kill. But he goes further and says, what about your heart? What about hating people? What about uh, calling people names? You may not, may not be killing them exactly, but you'll still have a spiritual violence toward them. You still have this anger towards them. What about dealing with that? And so the Lord takes it a step further from the actual act of of murder. John, of course, in his epistle, does a similar thing. It says, if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. And, And Jesus is saying that here. And then when he speaks about adultery, it's not just the adultery. It's not actually the act only, but what's in your heart. If you are seeking to commit adultery, you hold yourself back from the act, but you would really like to. 
What's there? How about dealing with that? And what about your right eye when you look at something and you covet it? Remember the last commandment, thou shalt not covet. And when we, uh, when we have that covetousness, and it, it counts in there, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. And it brings it in here with the adultery. How about when you don't actually take something that's not yours, but you really, really want that thing which is not yours? Why are you not content with such things as ye have? But Jesus is developing and defining this model by expanding the law. You must not murder, but you must not hate either. You must not commit adultery, but you must not lust after other people's wives or husbands either. You must not steal, but you shouldn't even be uh, seeking to covet those things or, or have the thought of taking something that somebody else has. Uh, you, you are not to bear false witness against your neighbor, but you are to love your neighbor as yourself and then of course he extends the law and goes on from the ten commandments into those other things which are uh, referred to in the old testament about vows about violence and about virtue and then the lord also in the line that he takes directs the mind and he directs the mind from the actions that we do to the lord for whom we do them he brings our thoughts from that which is going on around us. And probably just even this morning, thinking about what we've said so far, we're thinking about, well, do I lust after another woman? Do I desire or covet that which somebody else has? Do I have a hatred for someone? And we're sort of thinking laterally away about the people around us. But Jesus doesn't leave it there. Jesus points our eyes to the Father, which is in heaven. And if you see here, as we read from these, these scriptures, it says in verse 44, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven. Your Father, which is in heaven. So he takes our minds away now to the Lord. How does the Lord deal with the sinners and the unrighteous and the railers and the blasphemers? What does the Lord do? And the, the, Jesus says then that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For me, he maketh his son, that is not Jesus, but the sun in the sky. He maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. And notice that he turns these things round, so we don't get any imbalance here. For it is the he maketh his, his son to rise on the evil and on the good, sendeth his rain on the just and on the unjust. So first of all, he puts the evil first, and then the good, and then he puts the good first, the just, and then the unjust. So there's a balance. Jesus is very careful about the way that he speaks here. But what he does is he points us to heaven. And again in verse 48, he finishes this part of his, of his message here upon the mount by saying, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. He directs our minds to those things. So we see here also that there is a reference back to the Beatitudes. So you see there in verse 9 of chapter 5, this is all one, one sermon all the way through. 
Jesus has begun, and just as I seek to begin at the beginning and work through, Jesus is doing this. He is setting up at the beginning, and he is working through as he instructs and teaches. So in verse 9, he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. What does he say here? He says that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. He goes on, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And again, he says that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So here is a development even of the Beatitudes that Jesus is saying to us when those who are against us, when those who hate us, who despitefully use us and persecute us, our enemies who curse us, when they come along, you are blessed. You have an opportunity now to represent the Lord your God, to hold back the old man and to serve him in righteousness and goodness. And so give to them that which is good. So the line that the Saviour takes here is to take us deeper into the righteousness which God has saved us to. Of course, our, our final goal is to be with him in glory, where there is no sin, where there is no corruption, where there is only peace, where we won't have enemies, and where we will be blessed in the presence of the Almighty. But here upon earth, the Lord is working in us, sanctifying us, cleansing us, teaching us, instructing us, preparing us for that glory. And the desire that we have to be with in heaven should be the desire that we also have upon earth, as it says in Numbers, to know days of heaven upon earth. We can know the blessing of the Lord upon earth as we walk with him, as we rejoice in his righteousness. So we go on then to the life that the saved thirst for, which is that life in glory, without sin, in perfection, and all of our doubts and all of our fears and all of our guilt and all of the things which we have made mistakes in and when we have sinned, all of that is gone. We remember it no more. He has wiped every tear from our eye. And now we are in the presence of the glory. And we can see our Lord Jesus Christ, as John says. We know that we shall see him. And in that glorious day, our great desire will be fulfilled. But what is the desire now? Well, first of all, we desire this because there is a danger always of persecution. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew ten thirty four, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I, am, I came not to send peace, but a sword. Now, he's not saying Christians can take out your sword and fight against everybody around you, uh, as Islam uh, kind of teaches But he is saying what will happen is as you walk in righteousness, the world will rebel against you just because it rebels against me. Because I call the world to righteousness. Because I tell them of righteousness, how to live in righteousness. But the heart of man is so corrupt 
that it doesn't like to be reminded of righteousness. And when it sees your righteousness, it will rebel against you. I came not to send peace on the earth. No, the sword will come and it will come against you. There is always a danger of persecution. Now, we've known uh, many, many years in this nation of, uh, of freedom, being free to worship, being free to have the word of God, even to stand on the street corner and to preach the word, to knock on people's doors, to pe- talk to people in the street. We have known those freedoms and they've been hard won. People died to get us those freedoms. And people gave their lives to bring those freedoms. And we see them being eroded even at this time. But nevertheless, there is this danger. And because there is this danger, we thirst after this righteousness. John, the Lord Jesus says in John 15, verse 18, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. And so we know that the Lord uh, has this understanding. It is the, the natural man striving and fighting against God. And against his people. This danger of persecution is around us. We find it even in the disciples in actual fact. Before they really come to comprehend and really take on the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here and elsewhere in their lives. They have this same worldly spirit. You remember how that one day the Lord Jesus was to go into one of the villages of the Samaritans. It's recorded in Luke 9 and verse 52 and onwards it says and sent messengers before his face and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him and they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem and when his disciples James and John saw this they said Lord wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did but Jesus turned and said and rebuked them and said Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. See, there's even this this carnal spirit in James and John. And James and John, remember, were the best of the disciples, if we might say that. Because it was James and John and Peter that Jesus took into the Mount of Transfiguration. It was James and John and Peter who were taken with him when he went into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. These were three who were chosen out of the chosen. And yet these two are the ones who want to call fire down. Jesus here is saying that that, that's not the spirit that the child of God should have. We're not to be calling fire down on people. But we are to desire peace. And this desire of peace is the desire which lays in the heart of the child of God. It lays in our heart, first and foremost, because we have sought peace with God, haven't we? Our, our sin was laid upon us. We were convicted of that sin. We knew that God's wrath would lay upon us. And we cried out to him and said, Lord, save me. And we desired peace. And as we desired peace then, so we also desire peace with those around us. Who wants to live in conflict? 
Who wants to have fights with their neighbours? Who wants to have people against them? Don't we desire to have peace? We have this desire for peace. But compare, even in this sermon, verse 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. That which is right. And peace, of course, is that which is right. It was the, the salutation of the Jews, still is to this day. Shalom. Peace. Peace be upon thee. And we desire that peace. James 3.17, James writes, For the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Do you have a desire for peace? Do you desire peace? Is that what lays upon your heart, to be at peace with all men, as much as lieth in you? That's what Paul writes, isn't it? In Romans 12, verse 18, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. So there should be this determined pleasantness that when those who hate us, uh, uh, who despitefully use us and persecute us, we should be desiring peace with them and peace for them, that they might know the Lord that they might know the peace of God within their hearts. Matthew 5, again in verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Be children of your Father, which is in heaven. Jesus makes that reference. The Holy Spirit, when he writes, when he, when he inspires the, the holy writers to write the scriptures, doesn't do so in some haphazard way. There, there is a connection throughout the whole of the scripture by all the different writers in different ages from different uh, occupations and professions who have brought the word of God. There is a connection between them all because there is one ultimate writer of the scripture and that is the Holy Spirit. And here is the connection once again. Be the children of your father which is in heaven. Look at him. He maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. So we should have this determined pleasantness, this determined peacefulness. And then finally the love that the saint testifies. What is this love? Because the Lord says, love your enemies. What do we mean by love? What does Jesus mean by love? Because there are different words in Greek and indeed in English for love. Uh, And, well, what does he mean here? What is this love? How can we love someone who hates us? How can we love someone who despitefully uses us? How can we love someone who curses us? What is this love? Well, I want to define the verb first of all. What what, What is love? What does it mean to love? The Greek word here is agapeo. Uh, You may have heard the word agape uh, because it has been often mentioned. But what does it mean? Well, when we look that word up, we find this definition, to feel and exhibit esteem and goodwill to a person, to prize and delight in a thing. Esteem and goodwill is not the same love as seeing someone and 
just loving. They were just such nice people. It's not the same as that. That is a, a kind of an emotional reaction. This love is not an emotion. This love is, a, is an act of the will. It is to give respect. It is to give esteem. And we read of it over and over. That we should esteem one another better than ourselves. We are to be uh, considerate of those who are around us. In the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, it makes mention of the pre-biblical Greeks, so how the Greeks spoke before uh, the Bible was written. And this word, agapeo, uh, would have been agapan at that time, or agapan. It says this, this term has neither the magic of eran, which is a, a lustful um, eroticism, nor the warmth of feline. Feline means to love, that is to be fond of, uh, that is to like someone because they're lovely people. It has first the weak sense to be satisfied, to receive, to greet, to honour, or more inwardly to seek after. It can carry an element of sympathy, but also denotes to prefer especially with reference to the gods. Remember, this is uh, pre-Christian Greek, uh, so the reference to their gods. Here is a love that makes distinctions, choosing its objects freely. Hence, it is especially the love of a higher for a lower. It is active, not self-seeking love. So it is not just loving someone because they're nice. It is choosing to love them. And here, this is what Jesus is saying. Love them you love your enemies. Choose to love them. Choose to love. This is not going to come naturally to you. Choose to love them. Choose to bless them. Choose to pray for them. This is an act that you can do. That you may be like your father which is in heaven. And that you might be complete. That word perfect doesn't mean without any imperfections. But it means to be complete it means to be to be adult, to be uh, mature. So we define the verb then as this which we can choose to do, and then to discover its virtue, it is to be a pleasant response, as we have said. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. The word bless there is the word eulogia. Uh, we know that when somebody dies, somebody may come up in. They've done it in this, in this church, come up into the pulpit and they say a good word. That is to eulogize someone. That's the word from Greek, eulogia. We are to say good things about those who say bad things about us. Do good to them that hate you. We are to, well, let's just take a verse from the Old Testament, Exodus 23, verse 4. If thou meet thine enemy's ox or his ass going astray, thou shalt surely bring it back to him again. If thou see the ass of him that hateth thee lying under his burden, and wouldest forbear to help him, that thou shalt surely help with him. Those that hate us, we are or our enemies. This is in Exodus. This is part of the law of God. Jesus is bringing it back and he is saying, we need to do these things, you need to do these things. And pray for them which despitefully use you. Pray over them, uh, in actual fact, in, in, literally, and persecute you. So we have this pleasant response, a previous revelation, and a, 
we look then to the Lord himself and we see this primary redemption. Remember, we sought peace with God. Now we are to seek peace with men, but we have that peace with God. Romans 5 verse 8, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, we didn't become righteous and then say, Lord, I've changed my life. Now save me. No, while we were yet sinners, we cried out to him and he saved us. Christ died for us. And a potential reconciliation in verse 10 of Romans 5. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. When we were enemies. So the Lord has this, again, virtue of the love that we are to testify to the world. That we choose to love them. That we choose to pray for them. We choose to say good things about them. We don't respond like for like. But we show the love of God, which God has shown to us, to those even who are our enemies, that we might be made to to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And then finally to deepen our vision, to see what the Lord sees here, to understand it within our hearts, not just because we've heard it this morning, but to actually understand it so that when these situations arise in our lives that comes to our mind well that person's cursed me but the Lord says that we are, I am to bless them to say good things about them that we're not to respond like for like we are to be higher than that we are to be better than that and we read together at the beginning of our service today from 1 Peter 3. And just to pick a couple of those verses out. Peter, of course, being one of the disciples, was there. And no doubt it has touched Peter particularly because, remember, it was Peter who denied the Lord. It was Peter who went out and wept bitterly. It was Peter who was called back by the Lord. said, tell the disciples and Peter. And he knows particularly of the blessing, the compassion, the grace of God toward him. So from those verses, verse 8 of First Peter 3, he says, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing. Knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. So he makes this, this connection as well. That we seek heaven, we are to be like our Father which is in heaven, we are to be the sons of our Father which is in heaven. Verse 12 then says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. What are we to do? We're to pray for those who despitefully use us and persecute us. God's ear is open to our prayers. If we are seeking to pray for them or pray over them, that they might be saved, that they might be blessed, that they might have a change of attitude, that they might be reconciled to us and we to them, pray for them. And again in verse 16, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. That they might see that there is something in you which is not in them, that they might be brought under conviction, 
that they might be brought to the Saviour because as Christ died and uh, while we were yet sinners, so we are to give of ourselves while they are yet sinners that they might be drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless us as we seek to put into practice that which the Lord uh, speaks here. More than just putting it into practice, may it enter into our hearts and our thoughts that we may bring forth from the treasures of Scripture things old and new.